Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We are in week two uh, of a series that we are calling The Great. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> Give it up for Bob in his tracksuit. I don't know if they were giving up for you or your tracksuit, but either way, it's great. Uh, we're in week two of a series uh, we're calling The Great I Am, like we just sang out a moment ago. And we've been discussing some of the powerful statements that Jesus makes about himself. Uh, as we started the series last week, I reminded all of us about a trap, a trap that all of us face or tempted to fall into as believers. And that is the trap to make this journey of faith all about us to become self-focused instead of Jesus-focused, uh, to, to begin to believe that the things we do, like coming to church and reading the Bible and, and singing songs and going to group and all these disciplines of faith, they're all about self-improvement, trying to become the best versions of ourselves, to, to sin less, to become more holy, or as I said last week, and you seem to like it, to become more righteous and a little less ratchet. Yes, either way, we begin to think that that is the, the, the point of our faith, True salvation, true Christianity is becoming the best version of me. And while, yes, we should all be growing and be sanctified and being transformed by the power of God's word, that is the fruit of faith, but it was never intended to be the focus of faith. As simply as I can say it, this whole thing is about Jesus. At the end of the day, the reason we come to church, the reason we read the Bible, the reason we sing songs is to behold the one who calls himself the great I am, to behold his goodness, to behold his grace, to behold his love, to behold his forgiveness. Why? Because it says in 2 Corinthians 3, as we behold him, then we will become more like him. This is all about seeing Jesus. And that is the aim of this series, to behold the one who calls himself the great I am. And specifically, we are going to behold a couple of statements, eight to be specific, about, uh, that Jesus makes about himself in the book of John, all starting with those two words, I am, and then he begins to describe who he is. Uh, now, I, I know a number of you were out of town last week for the holiday, no condemnation, uh, but as much as I would love to believe that you were waiting by your phone for the podcast to post or the YouTube video to show up, like, man, I know I'm on vacation, but I just need to to know what Pastor Tim had to say at church this morning. So please, would you send it to me? As much as I'd love to believe that, I know it's, it's, it's probably not true. And so uh, I'd like to do a little bit of, of reminder work before we jump into the sermon today, if I could, because it's important that we are all aware of the foundation we established last weekend, because it's going to make a difference in our understanding of Jesus's statements today. Uh, last week, we went back and we looked at the origin of this name, I Am, in Scripture. It was found in Exodus chapter 3, as God begins to speak to Moses about delivering the people of Israel from Egypt. And Moses asks God this question, who should I say sent me to the people? And, and God tells Moses, tell them, I am that I am is sending you. Or haya asher haya, which means I am becoming the one that I need to become for this specific situation. 
Who should I say sent me? Tell him that the one who becomes whoever he needs to become for that situation is the one that's being sent to you. If there is sickness, come on, he is becoming healing. If there is lack, he is becoming provision. If there is addiction, he is becoming liberation. If there is brokenness, he's becoming the one who restores. He is able to become whatever he needs to become for any situation in life. That is what this name means. But while why I am that I am means that he's able to become whatever he needs to become for any situation. We reminded ourselves last week that it is imperative we understand the specific situation whereby God introduced himself as I am because since it is the first mention, it sets a precedent that follows not just through the remaining counsel of scripture, but from now on into eternity. God said to Moses, this is my eternal name for all generations. In other words, this context is going to affect every future context. And we're going to see that today as we go to the words of Jesus. Remember, God told Moses, I am the one who sees, I am the one who hears, I'm the one who knows your suffering, and I am coming down to rescue we're going to see those words once again in Jesus as he hearkens back to that Exodus 3 statement. Remember those words, I am coming down. Uh, so with that in mind, today I want to introduce the first statement of Jesus. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the fact that Jesus says, I am the bread. The bread. Isn't that a beautiful loaf? Uh, I am very excited about this sermon prop today. Uh, and not just because uh, it actually is going to add any value to the sermon. In fact, I don't think this is going to help you understand anything that I'm going to say today. But the reason I'm excited about this loaf is because it is filled with gluten. It is not gluten-free. Uh, let me explain. So uh, about a year ago, uh, my wife found out that she had uh, celiac disease. And then about four months ago, my oldest daughter, Ellie, also found out that she's celiac. Maybe, who knows? She could have been healed of that now too as well. Uh, <laughs> let it be done, Jesus. Uh, and so that means they can't eat gluten. Uh, and when we found out that Ellie was uh, in need of becoming gluten-free, I, because I'm a good father, made a commitment that I would embrace this gluten-free lifestyle as well in our household and that I would no longer eat gluten. Uh, my wife was a bit offended about that because she's like, well, when Ellie needed to go gluten-free, you were willing to stop eating bread. But when I needed to go gluten-free, you didn't seem to have the same conviction. So you love bread and your daughter more than me. I seem to remember her saying something like that. I couldn't hear her over the sourdough I was eating at the time. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, in full confession, I have broken that, uh, con that, that commitment a number of times, and today is going to be no different. I intend to eat much of this bread at completely unnecessary, superfluous moments during the sermon, uh, just so that I can enjoy, oh my gosh, it's so good, a little bit of gluten. I digress. Well, that's a bad idea, because now I'm going to have to chew this while you all just sit there and wait. Hold on. Okay. Jesus says, I am the bread. So let me give you a little bit of context for this statement, and then we'll go to the scripture. 
Uh, Jesus has just performed one of the most famous and incredibly significant miracles in his ministry. He has just fed upward of 15 to 20,000 people with a single bag lunch. Uh, the story goes that Jesus is out in the wilderness uh, teaching this crowd, and, and apparently he's got a really long sermon he's teaching that day. He's been teaching all day long. And the disciples come to him as the evening is drawing near, and, and they're like, hey, Jesus. I'm still swallowing. Do you hear that? Uh, we, we love this sermon. Man, what a great word you're preaching right now. It's long, but man, it's really, really good. The content, amazing. Um, the people have been listening for quite some time, and you might notice that your time clock has been up for a few hours now, but I mean, we love what you're saying. We're just worried about people, and so if you want to dismiss and maybe land the plane here, we can send the people back to the town so they can get a little bit of food because I think they're going to be hungry. And Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says, why don't you give them something to eat? <laughs> and the disciples are like, uh, we don't have enough food to feed all these people. So they do what a normal ratchet disciple would do. They uh, jack some kid's Lunchable and they bring it over to Jesus and they give him five loaves and two fish. The Bible says Jesus blesses the food, breaks it, hands it back to the disciples. And they begin to distribute this food to all 15 to 20,000 people. In fact, there's so much food that there's 12 baskets of leftovers, doggy bags, one for each of the disciples to remind them that Jesus is able to do whatever he needs to do for the situation at hand. So the day ends, uh, the crowd is dismissed, and Jesus and his disciples go on to the next city. Uh, however, the next morning, some of the college students and the young adults from the crowd of the night before, uh, they make their way to the new city where Jesus is at. And you're like, I don't remember reading that in my Bible. Well, we know that they were young adults and college students because they were looking for more food. And, uh, <laughs> sorry, that was a bad joke. Uh, and so they, they come to Jesus and they're looking for more bread and Jesus kind of punks them right there in, in, in the middle of this passage. He's like, I know why you're here. You're not here for me. You did not come to worship me as the Messiah. You're not here because you believe that I am who I say I am. You just want more food. You're here for my blessing, but you don't want me. You don't want the one who can give you the blessing. You just want the fruit of what these people of faith are actually getting out of it. You want the blessings, but nothing else. And so we begin to read the response of these young adults in the book of John, chapter six, verse 30. Uh, they responded to Jesus, well, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? Which seems ironic considering what he just did, right? He just fed all these people on the side of a hill. But when all you're after is the blessings, you miss it and you're only looking for the next thing. After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses did not give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he's offering you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God, here's the language, is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, we'd like that bread every single day. And then Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Jesus will go on now two more times in the next 16 verses to repeat this phrase. I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread. Now, it does not take a lot of theological legwork to determine what Jesus is saying here. This is a, a relatively simple application, yet don't miss its power by its simplicity. 
What Jesus is saying to this hungry crowd of individuals that's looking for bread that will satisfy for a moment is that he's offering something that will satisfy far beyond their momentary need. He's saying, I know you're looking for what will satisfy your stomach, but it's not gonna address the need of your heart. I know that there is a deep longing for fulfillment and satisfaction. I'm aware of the human condition and you can try to find it in money or in influence or in title or notoriety, but none of those things will provide what I'm offering to you right now. I am offering a satisfaction that nothing on planet earth can ever fill. But if you come unto me, if you eat of my bread, you will discover what your heart is longing for. It's the same thing we talked about a couple of weeks ago in that, ser- uh, that sermon entitled, Why Am I Not Fulfilled Yet? Jesus is addressing here the deepest need of humanity to be fulfilled, not just for a moment, but for a lifetime into eternity. And I love, I love the way that uh, William Barclay, the theologian, sums up this entire portion of scripture. He says, Jesus is the essential of life. The hunger of human situation is ended when we know Christ and through him know God. The restless soul is at rest and the hungry heart is satisfied. That's the point of this whole portion of text. And honestly, we could end right here, right now. We could call it quits early today and and I could say, listen, if you're here this morning and you're longing for that fulfillment that Jesus is speaking of, if there's that that God-shaped hole in your heart that can't be filled with anything else, then I, I invite you to come and taste of the bread of life. See that he is good. Hand your life over to Jesus and you will find what you are truly looking for. In the same way that he said, I come down to rescue in Exodus 3, he has come down to rescue you from an unfulfilled, unsatisfied life so that you will discover what your soul truly longs for. And then we could pray together and you could say, yes, I'm going to taste and see. And then we all go out in the lobby and eat donuts with a lot of gluten. It would be great. And rest assured, if you are here this morning and you find yourself in that space, unsatisfied, looking for what only Jesus can offer, there will be a moment at the conclusion of our service today where you can come and taste and see that the bread of life is good and you can hand your life over to him. But according to this clock, I got 23 minutes left. And so I think it would behoove us to maybe dig a little bit deeper into these statements to consider that maybe satisfaction, while it is the main thought Jesus is unpacking here, perhaps there is some greater application we can draw as we look at this analogy he uses between himself and a substance called manna. Manna. Now, if, if that word is unfamiliar to you, uh, it is a great Korean restaurant in the Inner Sunset on Irving Street. Highly recommend. Actually, I don't recommend because the last time I recommended a restaurant to you all people, like for four weeks, I could not get a reservation in that place. So don't go there. The food is horrible. All right. But manna is, uh, is something that we read about in Exodus chapter 16. Uh, after uh, God comes to Moses and tells him he's going to deliver the Israelites, carries them across the Red Sea. They're now in the wilderness. About a month into their journey, they find themselves running out of food and they're freaking out. And God comes to Moses and and he says, I see what the people are suffering with. I hear them crying out to me. I know what they need. And so I am going to send down a substance that can address their need. 
Uh, we read about it in Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse four. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm gonna rain down bread from heaven for you. Each day, the people can go out and gather as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. And then in verse 13, we get the instructions. The next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. Uh, when the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it, they, they asked. They had no idea what it was. Then Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you to eat. These are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some a little, but when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little, they had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Then Moses told them, do not keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen. They kept some until morning. But by then, it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was ticked. After this, the people gathered the food morning by morning, each family according to its need. And the sun became, and as the sun became hot, the flakes they had not picked up melted and disappeared. All right, follow me for a couple moments. So when the people of God needed provision, the Lord sent bread. He said to Moses, I am going to send this bread that will come down from heaven. God called it bread from heaven. But what's interesting is that the people didn't use the same name for this substance. They called it something else. They called it manna. So Bible trivia moment. Does anybody know what manna means? Okay, a few of you do. You didn't raise your hand. You were probably homeschooled because your mom didn't make you do that. That's fine. In public education, we raise our hand. It's fine. Yes. It means, what is it? Literally, God said, I'm sending bread from heaven. The people go out the next morning and they look at it and they're like, I've never seen this substance before. What is this? I didn't see this at the grocery store. I've never seen it in the market. And Moses says, well, that substance you're staring at, it's the bread that God has sent to you. But instead of calling it the bread from heaven, apparently their question is what stuck. From that point on, they called it, what is it? What is it? So, so for 40 years, every single day, the people of God walk out of their tents and they look at this substance that God has provided for them and they ask a question. What is that? What is that? Hey, what is that? Do you know what that is? For 40 years. Fast forward 1,400 years later, now in a different wilderness with a different crowd, Jesus answers a 1,400-year-old question. He says, hey, you know that substance that your ancestors kept asking about every single day? You know that, that, that thing that fell from heaven and provided for the people's needs every single day? You know that heavenly thing that you couldn't quite figure out because you'd never seen it in your marketplace before, but you knew that it was a gift from God to provide for every single one of your daily needs. You know that bread? Yeah, that was me all along. That was the Father sending you a gift that would point to me. It was Jesus. So that tells us something. 
If Jesus is comparing himself to the manna, then it tells us what is true of the manna is also true of Jesus. It is not just the, the satisfaction of soul that we're supposed to draw from this text. We are supposed to see this connection between manna and Jesus. What is true of manna is also true of Jesus. And so what I'd like to do in our remaining time together is I wanna draw a couple of applications, a few truths about Jesus that we see represented by the manna. I'm gonna give you three. Number one, if what is true of the manna is true of Jesus, then we understand that Jesus comes down. Now, I could tell you weren't inspired by that. Okay, I know that sounds redundant, and I know that we've talked about it already in Exodus chapter three, and we, of course, talked about it here in John chapter six, but do not allow the redundancy of that statement to cause you to miss the significance and the power of this simple thought that Jesus comes down. He, he is the one who comes down from heaven. I know I belabored this a lot last weekend, but I'm going to belabor it again, especially since some of y'all were up in the snow and not in the house of God. So listen again. Jesus is not some distant deity in heaven with his arms folded saying, hey, get more holy, try harder, stop sinning, and then you can approach me. He is not like any other religion on planet earth that causes you to have to embrace certain disciplines to elevate to a state of holiness that is impossible in our human standard. He is not a deity that says you gotta clean yourself up. You need to fix yourself up before you come to me. He is the God that came down to where you were at. Romans chapter five, verse eight. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when you were holy, not when you had it figured out, not when you got rid of that addiction, not when you said, I am righteous by my own accord, but while you were in the pit of your sin, while you were in the shame of your sin and the regret and the failure, he said, I am coming down into the pit you find yourself in. I'm not gonna wait for you to make your way to me because that's impossible. I'm coming down to where you're at. He came down to the dust with an adulterous woman and protected her from a stoning. He went down to Samaria to hang out with a woman that the rest of the city had rejected. He went down into the graveyards of a Samaritan city and delivered a man so that he could evangelize the 10 towns around him. He went down and he dined with the disreputable. He hung out with tax collectors and sinners. He even told the adults to get aside so that he could get down with the children and say, come and sit on my knee. The, the entirety of his ministry points to the fact he's not up here. He came down to where we're at. The totality of his life even speaks to this. He came down to a young teenage virgin. And he allowed himself to be born in a no-name city called Bethlehem, which means, guess what? The house of bread. And where was that bread placed? In a feeding trough to be eaten. Even though he was royalty, he stooped down to a crown of thorns. He allowed himself to be adorned with a robe that stained with blood as a result of his whipped back. His throne across with nails through his hands and his feet. Why? Because of the bread. 
He says, this is my body, which is gonna be broken for you. And every time you eat this bread, every time you think about that loaf, I want you to remember, I am the one who came down to heaven to be broken for you so that you could be made whole. He's the bread. So the next time the devil lies to you and whispers those familiar lies, you know the ones where you feel unworthy and the ones where you feel like you can't approach the throne of God because of what you did or what you said. You tear off a piece of bread and you shove it in the enemy's face and you say, my God is not a God up in heaven waiting for me to work my way up to him. Come on, he came down to where I am at and he said, I'm offering myself to you in the pit so that I can get you on a mountaintop. Somebody say amen. I deserved a bite of bread. (laughs) Dang it, I shouldn't have done it again. All right. Jesus comes down. Jesus comes down. However, there's some additional applications we can draw from the manna. Uh, Secondly, this. If what is true of the manna is true of Jesus, then we need to recognize that Jesus must also be gathered. Jesus must be gathered. There's some interesting language in John chapter 6 that... Uh, at, a, at a glance could be missed, but I want to hone in on it for just a moment if I could. Je- Jesus tells this crowd that came to him for bread, he says, I am the bread of heaven that came down. But then a couple of verses later, he makes this statement. Anyone who comes to me will never be hungry again. So, so, so the bread came down, but then he says, anyone who comes to me. So, so which is it, Jesus? Did you come down to us? Or do we come to you? Which is it? Well, both, kind of. And I, I think we gain a little bit more clarity about that, again, as we look back at this substance called manna in the book of Exodus. Once again, Exodus 16, 4, it reads like this. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I am going to rain down bread from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and gather as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. So so, so God says, I'm gonna send the bread down, but you have to go out and get it. I'm not gonna make it show up on a platter on your dinner table. This is not some divine DoorDash. Instachrist, groceries to your door, all right? That's not what I'm doing here. I will send the bread down, but you're gonna actually have to leave your tent and go out and gather the bread that fell from heaven. If you don't gather it, you don't get it. You gotta go gather. Furthermore, he tells us that this is a test. God says to Moses, I will test my people in this. Not simply a test to determine whether they will trust him for their daily needs by refusing to store up enough from the day before, but also to test whether or not they are willing to go out and gather every single day. Let me say it like this. Their daily needs required a daily gathering. So let let me pose a question to you, as I do every single week. How's your gathering going? How's your gathering going? Did you gather last week? Do you have a plan to gather this week? And no, I'm not asking if you're going to Whole Foods and buying bread. I'm asking, did you go out and gather the bread of life? Did you make yourself uncomfortable? Did you get out of your tent and go out and get what you needed for that day? 
And before you beat yourself up and you're like, I don't know if I did or not, let me, let me encourage you a little bit. You're gathering right now. You may not realize it, but you are currently gathering as you sit in this space. Every pastor loves this scripture, Hebrews 10, 25. Do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves as some of you are in the habit of doing. Speaking of the gathering we are sitting in right now. And and the reason every pastor loves Hebrews 10, 25 is not simply just because we like big rooms with a lot of people and we don't like preaching to empty spaces. Although I can testify, I get a little scared when the nine o'clock service first starts and there's not a lot of people in here. Uh, But the reason we love that verse is because we know the power of what takes place when a bunch of believers come together in the same room and they begin to lift up their voice and exalt their king. We know that there's a unique faith in the gathering. There is a collective anticipation in the gathering. There's a unique manifestation of the spirit of God and the presence of God and the miracles of God when the believers get out of their tent and they gather together in the sacred space. Nothing replaces this. This is an irreplaceable environment. You won't get this on a podcast. You won't get this on a YouTube. You won't get this on a live stream. Oh, I'm actually, let me, let me get in some pe- people's business. Not yours, some other people. We refuse to live stream our services here. I get asked about it all the time. Hey, I'm gonna be out of town and you know, I've got, I'm traveling for work or we're going on vacation. Do you guys live stream? I said, no, we post the podcast and we post on YouTube so that people can catch up later. But I don't live stream services and we never will. And let me tell you why we'll never live stream services. I am not interesting in catering to or coddling people that will refuse to get out and gather while they sit on their couches and they try to door dash Jesus to their front door, lying to themselves, assuming that it's the same while they sit on their couch as it is in the gathering because it is not. We will always be about the gathering on Sunday morning. It's worked for a couple thousand years. It's not done working yet. Come COVID or any other situation, we will do whatever the heck we got to do to get the believers together in the presence of God because nothing is like this environment. So good on you. You're here. Most of you showered. You put on hard pants. Isn't that what we call them? Hard pants, not the Lululemons. We put on hard pants and you came to church. Give yourselves a shout of praise. Come on, hallelujah. But as I say so often, do not forget this ain't it. This is not the full expression of your faith experience. This is not enough. This, this might be a meal. I like to think it's a good meal. But you need to eat more than once a week. Man cannot survive on a single meal every single week. You must gather more. You cannot starve yourself and expect to survive as a believer. I was talking to a guy in the lobby a couple of weeks ago after service, and uh, he was sharing with me how much he loves the church. And uh, he said, man, I just love coming here on Sunday mornings. I get filled up for my week ahead. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And, and I, I understand the sentiment and I celebrate that. Yeah, I, I'm encouraged that we get filled up when we come into the house of God. But I got to throw a flag on that statement because it's just not true. You're not getting filled up for the week here on Sunday morning. In the same way that you could not go home today and eat a giant meal and hope that it would last you until next Sunday, this is not a single meal that you get to enjoy once a week and expect that it's going to fill you up for the next six days. No, you need to be eating more, honey. You're a little too skinny. I'm your grandma coming to pinch your cheeks and say, you need to get a little bit more food into your system. Are you doing okay? 
So, so I'm sorry if this offends or if it's too much truth, but better are wounds from a friend than kisses from an enemy. If this is the extent of your Christian experience, Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes, you are failing the gathering test, my friend. You are failing in your faith and it's only a matter of time before the enemy comes and takes you out. You gotta eat more. You need to be in a gathering with some other believers during the week in a small group. You need to be every day going to the word of God and saying, what are you feeding me today by the daily bread? You need to be in prayer. You need to be in worship. Every single morning, you gotta get out of your tent and say, God, I am here to gather my daily bread for my daily needs because I know that you have made it available to me. You gotta gather. But, but let me encourage you. I first kicked you, now I'm gonna encourage you and build you back up. If you're failing this test, I have good news. Tomorrow's coming. Tomorrow's coming. What did he say? Every day I'm gonna send down bread from heaven. It's not like, well, you should have eaten. You didn't eat. I'll see you next Sunday. No, every single morning was a fresh reminder of God's faithfulness. His mercies are new every single day. He is not a man that he would lie. And every day there is some bread coming down from heaven. So tomorrow morning, you can wake yourself up a little bit early and you can go to the word of God. You can go to prayer. You can go to worship. And there he says, I will send my bread for you. I'll send it. You just got to go out and get it. We gotta be gatherers. Jesus must be gathered. Last one, number three. And uh, can I squeeze this in? Oh yeah, I got a little bit of time. Okay, number three. Uh, and and let, let's bring the worship team up so that we can prepare to close. Um, not only does Jesus come down, and not only are we called to go and gather him, but number three, Jesus will usher you into the promised land. If what is true of the man is also true of Jesus, then... Jesus is going to carry you into the promised land. Uh, there's a last verse, an interesting detail here in Exodus 16 that we read about after God gives the instructions surrounding the manna. It's 16 verse 35 says this. So the people of Israel ate manna for 40 years until, everyone say until, until they arrived at the land where they would settle. They ate manna until they came to the border of the promised land. Okay, now use your imagination here for a moment with me. If you need to close your eyes, you can. Imagine for 40 years, every single day you walk out of your tent and there's provision from God. For 40 years, there is this daily reminder that God sees you, he hears you, he knows you, and he sent something down to provide for you. And regardless of your season, I know we don't read about the unique seasons of the individuals who were walking through the desert and maybe what they were facing, death in the family, sickness, who knows. But regardless of the season, every day, the people of Israel walked out of their tent and there's proof that God loves them and he cares for them. Every day. And every day, through every season, they had what they needed to sustain them in the wilderness. And then one day, their wilderness wandering came to an end. One day they find themselves on the threshold of the Jordan River, and they're about to cross over into this land that God has promised them for decades. And the Bible says that as they cross over into this new promised land, 
that the manna dries up and never shows up again because from that point forward, they eat the food of the promised land. What is true of the manna is true of Jesus. So, so in the same way that manna was the substance that carried the people through the wilderness until they arrived at a promised destination, so Jesus, the bread who came down from heaven that we must go out and gather is leading us somewhere. He's taking us to a destination. He will carry us through our wilderness journey, but there will be a day where we find ourselves at a threshold where the past is the past and our future is eternity. And he says, I have carried you up until now, but I did not just carry you with the bread of heaven for earth. I carried you with the bread of heaven so that I could lead you to heaven. This is about eternity. This is not just about being satisfied here on earth. This is about a God who came down to carry you through a wilderness called life through every single season so that when the time comes and you breathe your last, that same Jesus, that same manna, that same bread will carry you into eternity. Perhaps that's why Jesus calls himself the bread of life and not the bread of heaven. That word life, every time Jesus uses it in the text, He's speaking about eternity. He's not just saying, I'm here to give you a great life here on earth because I think we can all figure out by now life is not always great here on earth. But he's saying, I'm coming to give you something eternal, something that will far outlast these days. So yes, is the bread about satisfaction? Absolutely. Is it about satisfying your daily needs and ensuring you have what you need to make it another day? Absolutely. But ultimately, this bread, this declaration of Jesus is an invitation to come and taste and see that he wants to carry you into eternity. So, so let me end the same way this week as I did last week with a question. I'll word it different, but last week we concluded by looking at Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says to the disciples, hey, who do people say that I am? And after they offer a couple of answers, Jesus looks at him and he says, that's great. Now let me ask you, who do you say that I am? Because it really doesn't matter what other people are saying. It doesn't matter that other people believe. What do you believe about me? So, so I pose this question in conclusion today. Is he your bread? Is he your bread? It doesn't matter that he's the bread. It doesn't affect you at all if he's my bread. Is he your bread? Because if he's not, then today is an invitation to taste, to see that he is good, to let him satisfy the longing of your soul and to trust him to carry you from this point over until you reach the promised eternity that he's made available to all of us. Let me pray that as, as we conclude. Everyone, you can bow your heads. Jesus, thank you for this declaration of yourself. Oh, we thank you that you are our satisfaction. You are our fulfillment. Nothing that we chase in this life compares to you. And for those who, who have tasted and seen that you are good today, we just remind ourselves once again 
to stop chasing everything else and to look to you as the source. But for anyone in the room today who has not yet tasted of this bread or, or maybe did a long time ago, but their diet has consisted of other, other things. And today, maybe you're here this morning and you, you just, you sense this invitation to come back to Jesus. I wanna pray a prayer of commitment with you. A simple prayer, but in so doing, in the spirit, you're taking a bite of the bread and inviting Jesus to come in and to, to live with you until this wilderness season comes to a conclusion and you enter into eternity. If you're here this morning and you need to give your life to Jesus and pray this prayer along with me, would you simply lift up a hand and say, Tim, that's me, I need to pray with you today. Thank you, bro, got you. Yeah, I got you, man, awesome. Got you, yeah, thank you, cool. Awesome. Yeah, we can, we can celebrate those, that's cool. All right. Everyone in the room, pray this with me as we do every single week so these guys don't feel alone. Everyone say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I choose to follow you, to be your disciple. Forgive me of my sin and help me to walk in your ways from this day forward until I see you in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate one more time. All those guys making that decision this morning. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.